God loves and yes, God cares, but, but we need to be reminded. And as Brother Adam encouraged us, as Brother Nez encouraged the adults this morning, we need to be refocused, we need to be revived, we need to be aware of the fact that, that the love of God is not some abstract thing, but the love of God is an attend, intentional affection, not just that he feels, but that he has for you by name. God loves you, and it's a measureless love. And it doesn't matter how far you go. And we found out by a personal testimony from a man who now preaches the gospel of his life before the gospel. We found out, and you've seen it in your own life perhaps, and you've seen it in the lives of others, that we have the ability to go very far from God and to sink into despicable and discouraging depths. But even in the farthest reaches of our sin, of our recklessness, of our wasted lives, David said, it this way, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You can't go so far. You can't sink so low that you are able to go beyond the reaches of the love of God. It is an inexhaustible, vast source of affection specifically for you by name, but he has it for everyone He loves. See, God is committed to people knowing that he loves them. I believe in Jonah we see God's compassion even for people that hate him. Nineveh, brief history lesson, just a reminder, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian kingdom. It was the same Assyrian kingdom that would be used to take the ten northern tribes into captivity as judgment from God. But the Assyrians were not noble people. They were wicked, pagan, violent, lascivious people that God used to judge his own nation for their idolatry. It's said in the history books, those who've studied um, ancient Assyria, ancient Nineveh, that Nineveh would line its walls with the skulls of conquered victims, not just a few, but by the hundreds of thousands. They presented trophies to their, to their violent displays. They were filled with pride. They were filled with perversion and violence and immorality of all kinds. And yet there were, there were people there. And, and sometimes we only view people through a certain demographic or through a certain association or based on their bumper sticker. But I'm telling you, when God looks into vehicles driving around this valley, he doesn't first take note of the bumper stickers that are on their cars. He sees inside those vehicles that there's a woman, there's a man, there's a teen girl or a teen guy, there's a child in a car seat, and he loves them. He has compassion for them. He cares for them, and he is committed to everyone, everywhere, having an opportunity to know his love and to respond to his love. There are two things that we see in the book of Jonah. Number one, sin must be confronted. Look, I weary in this secular day and age where Christianity has been so diluted with and convoluted with false doctrine and false ideas about the truth of God, we do not shy away to preach the truth that God hates sin. 
And the Bible very clearly defines what sin is. We don't have to wonder, man, I I really wish I knew what sin was. No, God tells us what sin is. And then he tells us who is guilty of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he tells us what sin cost him in order to bring us into a relationship with him. God confronts sin. I love testimonies of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, how that he met the woman at the well, how that he met the woman caught in adultery. And there is no person that's so messed up that God won't personally go to meet them. But do you notice in each of those accounts and others, Jesus dealt with their sinfulness? No, if you're going to know God, you must be aware of your sinfulness and your need to be forgiven, your need to be rescued, your need to be saved. So many people today can't truly understand salvation because they don't understand that they are lost. And we, we live in, an, in a time when churches are afraid to confront the reality of sin. God sent Jonah to cry against the wickedness of this city, not because, not because he's an angry and nasty God, but because sin is evil and sin is destructive and sin brings both generational and eternal consequences. If you ever wonder why sometimes at this church there are hard messages that are very confrontational about very specific issues in our lives, it's not because we're angry, it's not because we're nasty, it's because sin is destructive. It has it has generational consequences, it has eternal consequences, and in, it's a mercy of God for him to send someone in your life that will look you in the face and tell you that that attitude is sin, that lifestyle is sin, that neglect is sin. That is a gift and a mercy from God because that sin, if it's not unchecked, if it's not confronted, will produce generational consequences and it can produce eternal consequences as well. And so God sent Jonah to confront the wickedness of that city. But the point of confrontation is not to beat someone down. No, I've complained about secular churches and allowing this worldly mindset to creep into where we don't want to confront anything. Let me critique churches that would identify themselves as conservative and trying to be faithful to the word of God. We use the truth of God not to restore people, but to beat people down and to oppress people. And you don't find Jesus ever confronting someone for the purpose of oppressing them. You know why he confronted them? To bring them into a relationship with himself. Mm. Think about the woman caught, the text says it, in adultery in the very act. Where are thine accusers? They're all gone. Neither do I. We have ministries that thrive on mocking and beating down people who are guilty of sin. I just want to remind you that I'm either guilty personally of it or I have the ability of committing it. There's no sin that's ever been committed that I'm not capable of committing. I, I have the ability to do any bad thing that's ever been done as a sinner. And I am only saved by the grace and mercy of God. And I don't care what you're wearing this morning. I don't care how many Bibles you have in your home. You are no better than any other sinner. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that you have salvation. 
We're not, Jesus doesn't confront us with truth to beat us down. He confronts us with truth to make us aware of our need for him. And so God commands Jonah to cry against the wickedness of that city. And Jonah very, very unwillingly and reluctantly eventually does that. And this is what's amazing. I believe this personally, that even a bad witness is better than no witness. So Jonah just goes and says what God tells him to say. And this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the preach word that you can have a self-absorbed turkey declaring the word of God and it's still effective because the power is not in the preacher of it the power is in the word of it and in the spirit of it and that city hears and they turn from their wickedness and they believe in God at least in that moment in that season they turn from their sin and humble themselves and this is what happened God shows them mercy compassion. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, don't get bored with the compassion of God that moved him to die for you and to save you. God is committed to that. You'll hear more. I don't want to share all their testimonies. I've I've known these men for a little while, know a little bit about them. Third generation, Papua New Guinea. People living in backwards ways without, you say, what do they need? Well, there are educational needs, there are medical needs, there are employment needs. But the greatest need, the need that brings light in every other area is to know Jesus Christ. And there are people that you go to sleep at night and you never think about. And they die in huts and they die in the mud and they die in these backwards jungles that you've never once thought about. And yet God loves them. And so he calls someone like Richard and Leslie to go back to a place where he's already been and to give his life to confront that sin so that they can have a relationship with the Savior. God loves the people there. God sees the natives of the Navajos. God sees them having lived life like Brother Ryan once did, drunken and ruined by a perpetual victimhood and entitlement, never dealing with sinfulness and never thinking that there's a way, but then God sends a man to go and love that family and when no one else would love him, to confront him with the truth and to show him over and over by his own testimony, as he said this morning, takes a a white man from somewhere else and brings him and plants him there and says, I want you to show the love of God to these people. And without much physical result, he just pours him into pours his life because of Jesus and of men and women like Ryan and Amber Nez. And eventually through the goodness of God, Ryan called on Jesus. And you heard that dramatic and inspiring testimony this morning. You say, why? Because God cares about people that are living on reservations. God cares about people that are living in South America. He cares about people that are living in Africa. He cares about people that span all across Europe and Asia. Wherever people can be found, God has compassion for them. And he is committed. You can't understand. If he was going to pay such a great price, then you better believe that he will go to great lengths to make sure they know about it. 
No, he wasn't just committed. Please get this. He wasn't just committed to dying. He was committed to people knowing that he loves them. Well, what's his vehicle for getting that done? Well, it's his people. It's, it's, it's local churches. Believers called out assemblies who have experienced the grace of God then taking responsibility to take that message and to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he can do for them. That is the primary vehicle in in our day and time that God is going to use. He used prophets then. He uses the local church, local churches. He uses them today and believers through those ministries to take the gospel, to preach the love of Jesus Christ, and to disciple believers, and to establish local churches. And there can be churches in reservations, and there can be churches in Papua New Guinea, and there can be churches in every corner of Africa in every of every kindred and tribe because God cares about people but he's going to use his people to do that well Jonah was one of his people both by his nationality being the nation that God chose but then also his faith Jonah was a child of God no I I understand that what we see here of him is not flattering at all. What we see in the entire book is not flattering at all. But Jonah is a child of God. He's born again. He's saved. You're going to meet him in heaven one day. And yet there is a great conflict going on in his heart. God has called him. God has commanded him. God, God, and by the way, God, doesn't, God didn't give, and, and they'll give testimony to this, God didn't give Brother Nez an option and say, hey, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to go serve me this way, do that. I believe Brother Nez would say, no, God called me to this. God put this in my heart. I can't do anything else with my life. Brother Kratz would tell you the same thing. I've shared this testimony with you. I can't do anything else with my life. I'm, I'm called to this. It's in me. God has put this burning desire, and to not do it would be to be disobedient to his purpose for my life. God didn't give Jonah an option. He commanded him. But God doesn't give this church an option. He commands us. Oh, no, no, no. no the gospel is not something that we just do if we feel like it. We are commanded Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it starts here in our Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about the going and how we can be involved on reservations, how we can be involved in Papua New Guinea. We're going to talk about the ways that we can link up and connect with and extend beyond our own borders. But we're first called to our Jerusalem, to our Samaria, to our Judea, to our valley, to our state. We are called to go. And it's not a suggestion. And it's not a you pick your favorite thing if you want to. If you're a child of God, then he wants you to be involved in a local church. And if it's not this one, it needs to be one like this one that preaches the word of God and loves him and loves people. And you need to be plugged in and being a part of helping other people know that God loves them. But there was a conflict here. You see, Jonah was not comfortable with what God told him to do. In chapter 1, God says, go here. And you study the geography, Jonah literally goes down to Tarshish and goes in the opposite direction. 
Jonah's heart was incredibly hard. You read in, you read in, chapter, in chapter 1, down towards the end, we're not, but you read in chapter 1 how he was asleep during that storm when all the other pagans were awake, crying out to their particular idol for mercy because of how bad the storm was. You know why as a Christian you can sleep when so many people who aren't, who don't have, know God are afraid for their lives? You know why you can do that as a Christian? Because of how hard your heart is. No, no, there's some people maybe in this church today that spiritually you have fallen asleep because we are surrounded by people who are desperate for answers and you're in the bottom of your boat asleep because you've got your little bubble and you're comfortable and you've got your retirement plan and you've got your work schedule plan and you've got your things that you like to do and your heart has become hard at the plight of those who are dying around you. You know, how you, can, you know how you can wake up and then just say, this storm is because of me. Throw me overboard. You know how you can rather die than be obedient to God? Because of how hard you've let your heart become. I would rather die. Say, what was so uncomfortable for Jonah? Obviously, it was the belly of the whale. No, that wasn't what was uncomfortable for Jonah. You know what was uncomfortable? Please get it. The thought that God would save people that he hated. That's what Jonah was uncomfortable with. No, the Assyrians had caused havoc in Jonah's life. No, I mean, look, I, I'm just, I'm all about transparency. It, when we come to an anniversary of 9-11, I have all kind of passions that are stirred up. And I don't think they're all wrong, either. I love my nation. Okay, I, I don't want to have to preach on this right now. I want anybody from any nation to love their nation, but if you're going to live here and benefit from this nation, I think you ought to love this nation, and I love this nation. And you say, well, this nation isn't perfect. I never said it was, but when it's attacked, man, I take that personally. And Jonah was attacked by that nation, and yet God says this, I love that, and I love those people. I care about those people. Mm, come on, get this. Please get it. Every terrorist that's ever attacked this nation, God cares about them. No, it doesn't sanction it. It doesn't mean we need to turn a blind eye to things. I'm just telling you that wherever there are people, God cares about them. It doesn't mean there, don't, there doesn't need to be a response. And there were military responses in Scripture. I, I'm not saying those aren't a part of the story. But I am telling you that in every hut, in every city, in every village, on every island, in every corner of the desert, wherever people can be found, God cares about them. But Jonah was uncomfortable with this. You want to save people that I don't like. And so here's the conflict. Am I going to be committed to God's compassion for people? Or am I going to be committed to my personal comfort? And if we're going to be a part of going. Let me explain this. Ladies did a great job on this, and the guys that helped them, but mainly the ladies get credit for this. On this side, you have how we can go. On this side, you have where we can go. But what's impossible to illustrate with this is that here in the middle, there is a conflict. 
Because if I am going to be involved in the going, I am going to have to deny myself certain things that I'm comfortable with. I'm glad you're curious. Let's talk about it. As a church, God doesn't just want a certain type of person. Look, I'm going to try to land this plane fast. Please pay attention, though. God doesn't just want a certain type of person. If it's a person, God wants him or her. Even if they don't know for sure what they are, God wants. Yeah, I'm not trying to be silly about that. No, no, we live in an age where everything is being confused. And the most basic, undeniable facts about biology that have never been questioned are being questioned in the most insane and ridiculous ways. But in spite of the insanity, God looks through the facade, God looks through the lies, God sees a person that he died for and that he loves. And and listen, I'm not talking about compromising anything. I'm not talking about sanctioning anything. You know me. If you've been here more than twice, you know the stands that we take about issues. But there is a difference in standing against sin for the sake of a sinner and being nasty to people. God hates sin, but he loves the people that are guilty of it. You know what's going to happen? Some people are going to come in here that you might not be exactly comfortable with sometimes. Well, I'm just, I'm not comfortable. Look, I'm not talking about, there's a very specific process about what you got to do to minister in children's ministry. You know, there's a reason we have the rule that you have to be a member and you have to be vetted before we let you start getting involved in ministries. You know why? It's for protection for all of us. I'm not, a, I'm not sorry for that. I'm not apologizing for that. But brothers or sisters, anybody that wants to is going to be allowed. If they'll conduct themselves in a decent and respectable way, they can sit in these chairs and they can watch, observe, participate, or just listen in order to have an opportunity to know the love of God for them. And we're not going to be the kind of church that just sits around and stares well, I wonder who they are. We're going to go up to them and we're going to say hi and we're going to ask them their name and we're going to tell them our name and we're going to affirm that we are glad they are here because it doesn't matter what's going on outwardly or internally. God loves people. But you're going to have to get over some things you're uncomfortable with. Look, we're in the middle of political season right now. You've asked me. No, you haven't asked me. I've just told you. I have lots of political opinions. I believe there is a balance in being politically aware and involved, but also understanding the nature of the eternal kingdom. And nobody is saved because of who they voted for. Nobody is saved because of their alliance with your particular candidate. And I am for being involved politically. I think there's a biblical case. I preach about it. I talk about it. I'm not ashamed of it. But it's not politics that is going to help this nation ultimately. Ultimately, it's knowing the power and saving grace of Jesus Christ that is going to change people's lives. You just got to be okay with it. I'm not going to come up here. I bet I had one time, don't, don't worry, it's not you. One time I had somebody put a bumper sticker on my car. And like in principle, I agreed with the bumper sticker, but then I took it off. 
And they got upset with me. Like, why'd you take that off? You don't agree with that? I'm like, no, I agree with that. But I'm trying to reach more than just people that fit into that demographic. And God loves people more than just the ones that would agree with that bumper sticker. And by the way, bumper stickers don't do anything but make people mad or make people happy. They don't change anybody's mind. Look, wear, put them on if you want to. I don't like pastors critical of my bumper stickers. No, I'm not. I'm entertained by them. It makes driving more interesting, man. We got driving billboards out there. I'm not against them. You want to put your political candidate up there? Do it. I think it's great. I think it's good to exercise the freedom that we have in this country. And the exercise of the size of that freedom protects and preserves that freedom. But please understand as Christians, it's not a presidential candidate that saves anybody. It's God. Maybe somebody's going to come in here that doesn't vote the way you think they need to vote. Guess what? Nobody went to heaven over that. You need to be okay allowing people to have differing political opinions and letting God work in their hearts to know him first and seeing what he can do with all the rest. We're not a political activist organization. We are a church of Jesus Christ. And I will have opinions and proclaim what the Bible says I can have opinions and proclaim about. But people need a savior. Not the Republican Party, not the Democrat Party, not the Independent Party. They need a savior. Be uncomfortable with that. Some of you might be uncomfortable because we've said this. Our, our church that you're, you're a part, you attend at all. You, you've seen the prayer request. Brother Max talked about getting the missions guide. And please do that. But you get that missions guide. We have prayer requests in there. We, we've prayed that God would work in our hearts. For some of you, that, that might make you uncomfortable. You know what giving to missions requires? You to be uncomfortable. Did you know that God is aware of inflation? Look, so I believe this. Please, please, I believe this. Sometimes God tells you to give more. Sometimes God can direct you to give less. God can adjust things however he wants to. That's not in the Bible. Actually, it is. No, God is in control of how much you give. You say, who knows about it? You and God. The card you're going to put for our church family, the card that you put in the offering plate, there's no place for you to put your name on it. You know why? Because I don't want to know who your name is. I don't even look at the amounts anyway except to know what the grand total is. So that we can have an idea about our missions budget. I have nothing to do with counting the offerings. It's not, it's, not, it's not the amount. It's about your obedience. But obedience to God to give to missions can make you uncomfortable. No, I've been there. It's amazing to see what God can do. But it's not necessarily fun. When you're sitting there with your wife and she's crying and asking you, how are we going to pay for this? I, I, I don't know. I guess we need to pray. Some of you, God wants you to get involved in physically. You need to get involved in this church. You need to get plugged in. Some of you maybe need to surrender. God has been working on you and stirring in you that you need to give your life to something. Maybe there's some young men or some young women, and you know God's been dealing with you about missions. Man, I pray that God would raise up. And parents, don't get in the way of this. I want God to raise up some of our teens to give their lives to be ministers of the gospel. No, don't, don't get in the way of that. 
No, I don't want any of you to do it that aren't supposed to because we need Christian doctors. We need Christian engineers. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian salesmen. We need Christian teachers and Christian nurses and any, any field that can be a right and honorable field. Whether it's working at Taco Bell or the CEO of a company, we want believers to be in those fields. But some of you need to ask yourselves the question, what does God want me to do with my life? And we want to have a church where there's an environment that says we support following God in any profession, but we do want to ask him, what does God want with my life? Parents, don't get in the way of that. But it may not just be the young people. It might be some older people. <laughs> I knew this was going to be popular. But let me, let me make a quick transition, and then I'll, be, I'll, I'll stop with this. I want to depart from missions for a moment. Some of you are, are going through a whole lot. Going through stuff that maybe nobody else knows about. You got battles and heartaches, vices, scars, wounds by other people, things that you've done yourself. I'm telling you, there's a God of compassion that if he rescued Nineveh, He'll rescue you. You know, we use the term skeletons in our closet. You know that term, Brother Kane. You've heard it. Maybe even as a, a minister yourself, you've used it. Nineveh didn't just have skeletons in their closet. They had skeletons on their wall. And God showed them mercy. Can you look at me? God loves you. And I'm sorry if you're hurting. I'm sorry if you're angry. I'm sorry if, like Jonah, you're sitting up on that hill, looking over the valley of your life full of resentment. Sorry if you question if there is a God. I'm, I'm sorry that you failed. I'm sorry that someone has failed you. All I can tell you is this. There's a God with inexhaustible love for you. But in order to have it, you know what has to happen? The same thing that happened with Nineveh. I love this. You know what they had to do? They had to humble themselves. You know what that's called? Letting go of their comfort. They had to admit Admit, God, I'm wrong. Put sackcloth, ashes, fasted. They called out to God, and God showed them mercy. And this morning, if you'll humble yourself, there is a God of inexhaustible mercy who says, I haven't given up on you. Even if you don't think I am, even if you question me, even if you're still angry with me, even if your heart is wrecked with anxiety and pain, I haven't given up on you. You know what's going to have to happen in your life? You've got to let go of your comfort. You've got to stop pretending it's not, a, it's, it's not as bad as people think it is. And you just need to come and say, God, I am in a mess right now and I need your help. You have to choose. Personally, you have to choose between your comfort or his compassion in your own life. And if you're going to be a part of this, if we're going to be a part of this, 
not just this week, for as long as God gives us life, then we got to be able to step out of our comfort and say, God, there is no comfort that I will let take priority over your compassion for people. What does he want from you? Just be willing to prioritize his compassion over your comfort. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Nobody, nobody looking around. And, and please, if we can, let's, let's limit as much movement as possible. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna, I wanna ask two questions. One, about the individual, about you, and then two, about your involvement in the work of going. So one, let me ask you this. Are you, are you struggling? Are you broken? Are you wrestling and in, in need of knowing the help of God in your life? You say, in some area of my life, whether it's a spiritual need, an emotional need, a physical need, a relational need, a health need, there are areas where I am, I am just broken and I am in need of the help of God in my life so desperately and I'm trying to act as though everything's okay, but there are some vices and habits I've let in. There are some there are some sins that I've let in. There are, there are some regrets that I can't get past. There are some anxieties that are tormenting me. There are some battles that I can't seem to have victory over. Whatever it is, I need the help of God in my life right now. So desperate for something outside of myself. I need the help of God. Would you raise your hand? Don't look around. You just raise your hand and say, Yep, hold them up for a moment. It's, I see them all over the place. God bless you for your honesty. This morning, you've got to be willing to get, to let go of the comfort of doing what you've always done and maybe for the first time in a long time, come and humble yourself at an altar. Maybe go to someone that you know you can trust spiritually. Maybe get my attention or, or get another brother or sister's attention and say, hey, can you pray with me? I just, I need the help of God and I've been fighting this battle for so long by myself. Maybe you're not saved and you say, I don't even know if I believe in God. But that's okay because he's patient to help you work through that. And if you'll let us take the word of God and have a reasonable conversation without any drama, without any, anything weird, we'd love to share the gospel with you, how you can know Jesus Christ as your savior, but you've got to be willing to let go of your comfort and humble yourself. Let me ask the second question about going. And this has to do with the application about Jonah going to the people God called him to required him to let go of things that he was comfortable with. And if you're going to be involved in going, it's going to require you to be willing to be uncomfortable. You cannot go the way that Jesus went and maintain your comfort. Jesus became uncomfortable so he could come to us. And we have to be willing to embrace a certain level of discomfort for the sake of going the way he tells us to. 
So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would there be anyone who would say about the work of the gospel, about God's purpose for my life, I am wrestling both with what going should look like and I'm wrestling with letting go of certain things that I'm comfortable with and I need God's help. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? I see him all over the place. God bless you. Let's respond to the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. Brother Adam's gonna sing. And while he does, you respond to the Lord this morning if he has spoken to you.